0: When I was young, I could embellish pretty good. So our family tradition centered around my mother's family that lived in the country of Chapel Hill. I mean, like dirt roads, you know, that kind of country. No shoes, that kind of stuff. And uh, on Christmas Eve, my immediate family would go to my grandmother's house in Chapel Hill, and then we would all gather at uh, this, this neighborhood, really, of all of my mother's sisters and brothers and if you can imagine this house after house after house after house and they all are relatives of my mother and so we would go from one house to the next house to the next house on Christmas Eve singing and eating and drinking and uh, exchanging gifts and just having a good old time and in the midst of that I don't know why they did it but they my my family allowed me to tell a story every every Christmas. And I probably told it for two or three years before they just said, all right, enough of, the, <laughs> enough of your story. But this is how the story went. And so uh, I had a great imagination. And so this was my story. I was asleep. It was Christmas Eve. And I woke up because I heard something going on in the living room. And so, I, so I snuck into our living room, and I saw Santa Claus. Santa Claus came down the chimney. He pulled that big bag of toys out. Oh, by the way, our house didn't have a chimney or a fireplace. Santa, Santa Claus is in the, in the living room. He's putting all the presents out, and because I'm a little kid, I'm making noise, I'm excited that he's there, and he sees me, and Santa isn't pleased that he gets caught in action, and so uh, I don't know why Santa would do this, but in my, in, in my story, Santa threw pepper in my eye, and he made me, he made me go back to my room. Hey, it's my story I made it up, and i I probably embellished that story, and it probably got better for i don 't know two two or three years um, I, you know in it, my parents allowed me to capture the attention of our family, and I was the entertainment as we went from house to house to house on on Christmas Eve, but for me, that was the story of Christmas, if you think about that though, as good and as as entertaining as as my story was. Uh, for those several years, uh, there actually is a truer story of Christmas. It's the story that's been told for 2,000 years. It's a prophetic story. It's an epic story. It's the story of God's redemption to rescue uh, a people that need to be rescued from their own sin and selfishness. Um, it's the story of a new chapter that, that God gives us in his grander story of, of redemption. It's the story not of Santa Claus and kids. Um, dreaming of him, but it's the story of Jesus. Now, any great story has a bunch of characters. They're heroes and villains. There are main and subordinate characters. There's some characters that provide comic relief. Uh, The development of each character is called a point of view. It's looking at the story through the eyes of one of the characters. And in a sense, anytime we approach the Gospels, the, these spiritual biographies of Jesus, we are getting a point of view. A point, uh, we're seeing through that writer's eyes what they thought of the, the life and the death of Jesus. And that really is what Matthew gives us here. He gives us uh, his point of view of Jesus. And so for the next three weeks of Advent, we're going to look at points of view of, of the birth of Jesus. We're going to look at Joseph's point of view, Mary's point of view, and God's point of view from various uh, places in, in Scripture, primarily the gospel story. Today, we're going to look at uh, the story of, of Joseph. And to do that, we have to turn to, to Matthew's gospel. So read with me chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Here we go. Now, the birth of Jesus took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph And he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful for this Advent season. And as we enter uh, into worship through the observance of your word, we pray that you would bring life to this ancient story that we've heard and read uh, many times. Lord, we as we look at it through Joseph's eyes, would you help us to see what he see felt, feel what he felt and. And Lord, I pray that we would learn something for ourselves in it. Jesus, we love you, we worship you uh, and it's this this is the season that uh, for which we worship you most, and we pray that in your great name amen and amen and so this passage is a story of the the origin of of Jesus, uh, but uniquely it's through the eyes of joseph um, It's worth saying. That You got to search real hard to find some stuff about Joseph that I mean, there's not a whole lot of passages that are that have a whole bunch of verses strung together that tell us a whole lot about about Joseph. Um, this is one of the, the passages that that you can find that tells you the most about him. Um, really. We never hear Joseph speak any words. There's never any tract of, of scripture that uh, the writers attribute to. Joseph said this. I mean, you don't find those things about him uh, in the Bible. And really, as the gospel accounts continue, Joseph faints even more into the background. Um, we, he appears. Uh, Later on in the Gospels, when Jesus is about 12 years old, the family goes to Jerusalem to to the temple to do the the rites that they're supposed to do at that age. And pretty much after that, although Jesus' mother Mary and his siblings uh, appear in various places in Scripture, it's as if Joseph Joseph disappears uh, from the text. Um, It's quite possible that before Jesus started his earthly ministry, Joseph had already died. And definitely as Jesus hung on the cross and looking down, spoke to the gospel writer, John, and says to John, hey, take care of take care of my mother. um, Joseph likely was I mean, he was dead and gone by that point. There's a lot that we could uh, draw from. Uh, this this text, this Matthew chapter one checks um, in view of the Christmas story, I, wanna, I want us to, to look at three points. And these three points are simply Jesus' origin, Jesus' name and his mission. And then uh, I'll end up uh, giving some summary thoughts about Joseph and the birth of Jesus. So first looking at Jesus and his origin, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Um, one of the traditions of our family, our immediate family, um, you know, me, Larissa, Jonathan, David, Zoe, is, is that on the kid's birthday, Larissa uh, tells the story of their birth. Uh, now, all of our, all three of our kids were born by cesarean section, so they, she, she doesn't tell that part. If that would freak them out. But she does tell them about, you know, the... You know, the thoughts that we had as we were sort of thinking about planning to have kids and, you know, the, the excitement that we felt when we first found out that she had conceived and and how they all grew uh, in her womb. And, you know, there were some some mishaps with all of them. Um, uh, of, of course, Jonathan, she went through 17 hours of labor and they start pushing and his heart rate dropped, And so uh, the, the chaos of doing an emergency C-section happened. So we tell him that. And then uh, with both David and Zoe in the midst of the the, the pregnancy, she had some complications, started bleeding. And we I mean, we didn't think that either one of them would um, would survive um, all of that. And I think in particular, Zoe, um, uh, a friend of ours, there were some complications with with her pregnancy. Friends of ours, uh, you know, prayed and prophesied over Zoe and said that this child will I mean, there's life in her. And that's why we named her named her Zoe. She survived all that, came out, and uh, obviously she's full of life now. Um, but that's, that really is what Matthew's doing. Matthew is, is letting us in on the, the origin of, of how Jesus came about. Uh, the, narrative bef- but n- the narrative that's before us, um, we really aren't considering the birth itself. In fact, at the end of, of chapter one, it's sort of like, you know, and, and so Jesus was born, Matthew is giving us all the stuff that led up, led up to that. Um, it's more than the story of uh, it's more the story of virgin conception of Jesus rather than his birth itself. It's it's Matthew by the Holy Spirit helping us see the eternal son of man, the eternal son of God become the son of man. Matthew helps us understand that God forms by the spirit, a human baby in the womb of, of a virgin girl named Mary. The angel tells Joseph and Mary all they need to know to care for this child. And a few months later, here the child is, uh, and they call him Jesus. Um, that this story is told from the perspective of Joseph makes a lot of sense because Joseph, um, is the, as the adopting father, has the, has the credentials by which Jesus is, uh, is brought into the world and that for which he gets his titles Uh, That we call him, and and more importantly, Joseph gives him the credentials for his for his mission on Earth. Um, If you look down at your Bibles, in this previous section, basically from verse one all the way through verse seventeen, Joseph uh, Matthew is giving us a lineage, uh, a, a genealogy of 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 Jesus, and he names two primary people. He names Abraham. And David. And he says, this Jesus is going to proceed from these two patriarchs. And, um, and that makes a lot of sense. Think about Abraham. In Genesis 12, Abraham is, is called from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he's told by God to go to a place that I'll, I'll, I'll send you. Abraham is giving a promise that God is going to bless him as, as he's going to bless him. He'll have a, uh, descendants as, as many as the stars in the sky And Abraham believed that, and God credited him as a man of of righteousness. More importantly, God says to Abraham that through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. Jesus is that seed, we learn in the New Testament. And here's the deal through David. Through Joseph, Jesus is is counted the son of David. And this is in fulfillment of the ancient promise that Israel would have a David-like king to rule their people Injustice, and so of all the promises we see given to Israel, one of these sticks out, and it's that David, through David, Israel would need a mighty, uh, a mighty deliverer, someone that served as a fearless king, someone that would be a warrior to defeat all their enemies, but also someone that would love God and also. Love their people. And but if you if you know anything about the history of of Israel, anything about the the history of the Old Testament, that never happened. I mean, that never comes to fruition. In fact, the history of Israel and almost all of David's ancestors was nothing but one sad tale of a failed king after a failed failed king. Human flesh could not deliver God's people. That's the that's the summation of the history of Israel. They needed something different. They needed something better. And if you think about it, especially with what, ha- what we have going on today and in the world that we live in, um, this is the universal lesson um, that, that all of us should take away. No prophet, no king can deliver us, for flesh and blood by itself can't save. We're in a political season, and uh, I mean, all of us are our intent about that, especially because we live in D.C., more importantly, we just want to pick the right guy, right, to, to lead our country and to, uh, in a sense, deliver us, make life better than it is now. But I would say even for us, even today, uh, even in the, the things that make people great, there's, there's no leader that we can pick that's going to deliver us like we need to be delivered. There's no person that can save us the way that we need to be saved. No king, no prophet can deliver us. No politician, no physician, no teacher, no preacher, no father or mother can deliver mankind. That sounds kind of bleak, but it's absolutely true. And that's what makes Matthew's gospel so important. That's what makes all the gospels so important because they give us hope. Matthew tells us in this gospel that God has been orchestrating the needed deliverance. What does he do? God sends us Jesus. Y'all should say amen right there. But he does it in this most unexpected way. He sends us Jesus through the unlikely young teenage couple, uh, very unassuming people of Joseph and Mary. Uh, This couple's betrothed. That's a foreign word to us. Um, Betrothed kind of means they were engaged in in our language. Um, But it was more binding than that. Betrothal meant that they didn't they didn't live together. They weren't sexually intimate, but um, but they were typically an arranged marriage for which the couple agreed to. And it was like a year long commitment whereby they got to know each other. And it was so binding in the Old Testament days that um, they called each other husband and wife. And to get out of a betrothal, you had to go through the the, the legalities of divorcing someone. So that's how uh, important it was. Um, we get the, the glimpses of that in verse 19. This is what verse 19 says. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, can you imagine Joseph Joseph's predicament? I mean, we, we're putting ourselves in Joseph's. Shoes this morning. Think about all that's going on in his mind and his heart. Here's this young lady that he's agreed to, to marry. His bride to be is, is pregnant and it's, it's not his child, and he knows it. She's already showing at this point. Um, this is the ultimate baby, I mean, baby daddy drama, right? I mean, this is what's unfolding. And think of the thoughts that he's thinking. What kind of woman is she that I'm engaged to her and that she would go and be intimate with another man and get pregnant? What, what will be of our marriage? I mean, we're just starting out and already we have uh, this predicament of she's married. I, I'm not the father. And oh, by the way, everybody knows that this this wouldn't have been a secret. They, there's this. This is such a close society that everyone would have, um, they would have let on to the fact that Mary's pregnant, and this, it, it probably is not Joseph's uh, Joseph's baby. This is how serious this was. Under the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy, uh, the, the penalty for adultery, intimacy outside of marriage, was death by stoning. Fast forward to the New Testament times, uh, very... The, the the Jews did not stone someone for for adultery, but to get uh, uh, betrothal was was binding, and so to to end the marriage, you you basically had to go through uh, the legalities of of getting a divorce, getting a lawyer, getting written papers, and all that stuff. So Joseph could have simply divorced Mary and exposed her shame, and as a a pregnant woman outside of marriage with uh, an impending kid, she would have lived that shame all of her life. She never would have outlived it. She never would have gotten married. No one would have been interested in um, in wedding her from this point. He could have ruined her at this moment. But the fact that Joseph considered uh, canceling the marriage quietly shows us what the Bible says, that he was a righteous man, that he was a just man, that he was willing to put her away not make her his wife, but do it quietly so that there was no spectacle involved in it. What, what's clear here is that God wanted Joseph to struggle. I mean, God wanted him to think about this. God had a plan, but he didn't let him know right off. And I don't know if you've ever had that happen to you. But I mean, that really is how God does us sometimes. Sometimes God will let us plod along, um, trying to figure out our way, because mostly we're going to try and figure out our way anyway. He lets us struggle before he reveals a better way. And of course, when that happens, just like Joseph, we should give way. We should change our plans. Verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so God wanted Mary to God, wanted Joseph to to marry Mary. Not only that. He wanted him to proceed with the marriage, and he sent an angel to tell him why. I mean, if God's going to send an angel, God is serious, right? Um, we have this. We have uh, sometimes a, a wrong uh, view of what angels do and what they look like. Our angels are romantic. They're cute. You know, they're they're nice and they're, they're nice. Right. That's not the picture that we get of, of angels. Angels are God's messengers. In fact, angels are the ones that God uses to bring not only just good news, but sometimes judgment. Angels aren't cute. Angels are glorious. They carry the glory of God. And in this case, the angel comes in the midst of Joseph's dream. And I think everything that the angel says to Joseph is is absolutely important. The angel intervenes to give Joseph a better way look at what he says he says Joseph son of David if an angle if an angel pops up into your dream and says your name you know he's serious right so he he says Joseph's name which Josephs in a dream um, I don't know what's going on in his mind but the angel is there he didn't come to the wrong house he came to Joseph he gives his title Joseph son of of David and what the angel is doing is linking Mary's virgin conception to David's genealogy. The Holy Spirit is the author of life. We'll learn in a couple of verses down, but he's saying to Joseph, "You have a role to play, Joseph, son of David." The next next the angel says, "Do not fear to take Mary as your wife." This addresses Joseph's um, his concern, his predicament of of divorcing this wife the angels basically saying uh, Joseph things aren't the way that they seem your your wife is is not defiled she's just as holy and pure as you would want in in someone that you're betrothed to don't be concerned with that more importantly he says Joseph you got to take this child as your son adopt him into the line of David Jesus therefore becomes Son of God and Son of Man. Thirdly, the angel says, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And I I, I highlight this specifically for the point of this. A lot of times we 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 sing songs and we hear these words that uh, the the importance of of Mary and her conception is that Jesus it was a, a virgin birth. Look at what the text says. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Uh, the stress here is on the virgin conception. Where's the miracle in, in God sending Jesus to earth? It's in the conception. It was caused by the Holy Spirit. We don't get the We don't we aren't told this by words, but Jesus was born just like every other baby born from a womb. Right. OK, that's he came out the same way the, the miracle wasn't the birth. The miracle was the conception itself. So that's the first point. The second point is is Jesus and his name. And for that, we got to look at verse twenty one. Verse 21, she will bear a son and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So God tells Joseph the child's a boy and that his name must be Jesus. Jesus means God saves. God saves. I mean, what do you think about when you hear that word save? God saves saves. I would say that if you're not a Christian and you don't read the Bible and you don't attend church a lot, then anytime you feel the need to cry out to God, you're thinking I'm in distress. Some things are going wrong. I need God to come in and, and help me, deliver me. And that could be I need to pay my rent. I need to, you know, get me out of the predicament with the relationship or something like that. Okay. but think about all the plight that goes on in our world as well. When we think about needing help, needing deliverance, think about all the hunger, uh, hunger for the, uh, the, the the solving of the hunger problem for for those who are poor, healing for those who are sick, comfort for all those in the world who are who are broken and, and downtrodden. For Israel, in this context, they were hoping for a deliverer. OK, they were under the oppression of the Romans and they wanted a, a messiah, uh, a, a warrior to come and relieve them from their from their oppression. But the angel comes with God's agenda and God's agenda really doesn't have anything to do with any of that. Yes, Jesus would come and he would heal the sick and he would um, lift up the spirits of the, the broken hearted. And and he would do all kinds of social justice kinds of things. But the angel says that he'll be given the name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. The world that we live in is no stranger to calamity. Think about how calamity comes in all its many sources. Sometimes calamity comes through accidents, things that we can't can't skirt around. Sometimes it's diseases that rid our bodies that we can't escape. Sometimes it's our own carelessness and our own forgetfulness. But here's what the angel is is letting us know. The, The root of all of our calamity is sin itself. Sin. The, there's the root of, of all the disorder in our world is the sin that's, that's in us. And he says, the angel says, Jesus comes to save us from that. Because the, the greatest disorder in all the world that we know is for us to be at odds with God. God has, God has one option for you. You're either for me or against me. And If you're not for him, then that means you're you're still being attributed all this calamity that's going on in the world. And when you're for him, you're for his word and you're for his son. Verse 22. All that took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken to the prophet by the prophet. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a lot in Matthew's words here. Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience and he's trying to help these Jews understand that everything written in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming, all the Old Testament prophecies, they, they come to fruition in the person and the work of Jesus. And, and you'll see Matthew going back to the Old Testament a lot, just as he does in this verse here. What Matthew instructs us is that the birth of Jesus is, is God with us, God in flesh coming to to dwell among man in the person of this baby that's about to be born. And he refers to the prophecy of Isaiah 700 years before Jesus was born. this was what we read in our Advent liturgy this morning during our worship through song. Uh, Isaiah foretells how Jesus would come into human history. How would that happen? He says, when you see this weird thing happen, a virgin will give birth to a baby boy and he'll be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, to be true to scripture, there's both a local and a future fulfillment to to Isaiah's prophecy. In the Old Testament account in Isaiah seven, which we read during our, our Advent liturgy, God sent Isaiah to Israel's evil king of Judah. Uh, King Ahaz and God offered Ahaz uh, a miracle, a, a gracious blessing. He said, "Ask me any sign, and I'll give it to you." And all you have to do is just trust God, and you can go to Isaiah seven and, and read all that. But this is this is the the end result of of Isaiah's prophecy. King a- Ahaz basically said, "I don't want anything to do with God," and. Uh, Basically, uh, Israel had a, an enemy coming towards them, uh, and they went to Assyria for help. Assyria comes to help, but Assyria didn't leave, and so Assyria becomes uh, Israel's new oppressor. They become a vassal state, and they never they never uh, escape that. And they're in, in the New Testament here in, in Matthew, they're uh, vassals to uh, the Roman government. Fast forward seven hundred years, God is. God, this, this promise to Joseph, the, the same the descendant of the same king, Ahaz, he says that God will be with us, not just in a sign, but in a person. So you see what's happening? 700 years ago, God used one of his prophets to foretell something that happens 700 years later in the birth of Jesus. God will be with you. That's the sign. Not just in a miracle itself, but in in flesh, in the person of Jesus. All right. So my third point really is, what do we make sense of this? I mean, how do we make sense of Joseph, his story um, and the birth of Jesus? Look at verse 24 and 25. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. And so this is what this is really the the summation of all that we know about Joseph. Um, The angel spoke. Joseph woke up. He believed and he actually did what he was commanded. Now, obviously, there's a whole bunch of other stuff that happens. But the scripture decides not to tell us all the intricate details about Joseph as Jesus father, what it was like growing up, him being a carpenter all the days that he might have lived um, doing what dads do to, to sons, even the son of God. The, the Bible doesn't tell us that. But there are some things that we should be able to take as we see the birth of Jesus through, jo- through, through Joseph's eyes. And so what should we see about the Christmas story through Joseph's eyes? Let me suggest uh, four things, five things. The first is submission to God, submission to God. Joseph's submission to God is as powerful and complete as what we'll see next week in the life of of Mary. A lot of times at Christmas, uh, we we pay a lot of attention to Mary because of her submission to God. Obviously, she's the one that carried Jesus. She's the one that scripture tells us a lot about, and we'll look at a little bit about that next week. But here's what Joseph does in, in these passages of scripture. He offers himself as a servant of the Lord. He offers himself as a servant of God, no less than a priest or a prophet or a king, all of those that were in his lineage in the Old Testament, he refused to be led by by the shame of of an impending marriage to a woman that was that was pregnant with with, with a child that wasn 't his, he refused to be led by his own anger. Can you imagine what he felt uh, being uh, laid with that predicament? He put aside uh, his inevitable plan of divorce his impending wife, and then he took Mary as his, as his wife. The second thing would be, Joseph is a picture of faith, living faith. He listened to the Lord. He was able to silence his emotions and his fear and, and his shame, and, and he obeyed. Joseph, um, he understood that God is with his people to save his people. I don't know how he understood this, but somehow, Between the the angel visiting that night and him waking up and simply obeying God, he understood that this baby forming in his betrothed wife's belly was God himself and that he would be called Jesus, God saves and Emmanuel. God is with us. And I think he carried that with him and he was able to live a life of faith through that. Thirdly, this is a big point. Difficult obedience. Joseph not only listened to God, but he followed. Um, Despite all the other voices that were likely screaming in his head, despite what other people were thinking and likely saying to him to his face. Joseph understandably wanted to divorce Mary, but he listened to God's angel and he obeyed. He he suppressed the impulse to take care of himself, to avoid shame. And he simply did as God said he should do. I think this is just plain old Difficult obedience, and think of all the times where you knew that God wanted you to do something, but you just you just you're right. you're, you're, you 're right you you want to take the step, but you don 't know how you want to take the step, but you you don 't think you have the strength to it 's like lord, i know i 'm supposed to do this, but i don 't know how I can do it somehow. Joseph was able to do that, and I think again his knowledge that this baby being formed in his betrothed wife's womb was 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 Jesus. It was God Himself. It was Emmanuel, God with us. I, I want to make light of these parallels because uh, this isn't necessarily in the text. But if you think about this, Joseph is no less. He's he's no different than the people that we are today. Who we are is is not any more significant or any less significant than Joseph was. God used Joseph. God uses you. God chose Joseph. God chooses you. You all realize that the Bible says that that God knows you before the foundation of the world. He knows your name, that he predestined you to be a son, I mean, God God knows you and he not only chooses you, but he entrusts you with responsibility. What was Joseph's responsibility? It was to raise Jesus. What's your responsibility? You're a carrier of the grace of God that you might extend it to other people. Scripture says that the sign of our love is our obedience. The closer Jesus brings you to himself, really, the more he requires of us. How close was Joseph to Jesus? He was his dad, probably there with him for several, several years, maybe into his teens. But I would tell you, as close as Joseph was to baby Jesus, elementary age Jesus, teenage Jesus, you're closer. Why? Because you got the Holy Spirit in you. You carry Jesus around with you. Joseph was just around with him. We don't we like to think about this much during Christmas time, but, but what is God asking of you? That his son might be glorifying you, much like he asked Joseph to, to to really lay down everything that he wanted to do, that this son might be born, that he might take on his lineage and that the son might go and glorify God by what he did and by his death. Um, fifthly, while Matthew's gospel offers us a picture of genuine faith, more importantly, it highlights the acts of a triune God. It would be easy for us to to put Joseph on a pedestal. I mean, we we sometimes want to do that. We see these characters in the Bible, don't we? David, Gideon. I mean, all the all the good guys in the Bible. We want to make um, heroes out of them. But I, I just have to tell you, Joseph is not the hero. He's a good guy. He does the right thing. Ultimately, Joseph is not the hero. God is. Matthew's gospel helps us to see the, the father's plan of redemption in the beginning of its climax. Jesus will be born, the very one that gives us our redemption and the very one that will come in his second advent and make our, uh, our redemption complete. And so from the beginning of Isaiah's prophecy to Ahaz um, to the, the fulfillment of the scripture of a virgin being born, uh, a virgin birth a virgin conception and a a baby being born. I mean, God is the one that's orchestrating all of this, even to the point of of moving on Joseph to take on the responsibility that he really didn't want. All this, all the intricate details in this divine drama are God's doing. All the way down to the eternal son of God entering the world as a baby. Um, I always shy away from giving you guys actual things to do. I, I, you know, a lot of times, I mean, we're people that I mean, tell me what to do, Jeff. What am I supposed to do? This is a narrative. Right. And so uh, there's no imperatives here. We're not told. And so Jesus was born and you're supposed to go out and put up a tree and put some lights on it and have a wreath and candle. And we're not told any of that stuff. And so I I shy away from from telling you, what do you do with the story of Joseph at Christmas? Um, I think you're supposed to receive it. I think you're supposed to uh, be in, in awe of the God that set all this stuff in motion long ago and it comes to fruition years later. And that, be in awe that we still tell this story and it has the same impact upon us because this is our redemption here being unfolded before our eyes. But let me give you three things that you these aren't necessarily things you can go out and like, I'm going to do this today. But there are things that you should think about. Firstly, let's let the Holy Spirit work in us to receive what God began to accomplish in the birth of Jesus. What was God doing in the birth of Jesus? He was sending the one that would save us from our sins into the world. We're for God or against him. and So if you're a Christian here, then. Receive Jesus afresh this Advent and be reminded that God comes to save you from save you in all the ways that you can't save yourself. You know, that's my problem. I got all this stuff going on and Jeff up here and up here. And I couldn't save myself even if I wanted to. Jesus comes to do that for you. If you're not a Christian here, then perhaps for the first time as we celebrate Christmas, you'll, you'll be aware that God said, I mean, he put all this stuff in motion. Years before cause it to happen, and there's a God that that thinks so much of you, his creation, that he would send his eternal son into the world to take on flesh, live life, go to the cross, die for you, to save you. Secondly, let's submit our plans and even our emotions to God, like Joseph did. Joseph is a great example here. We don't want to make him a hero, but he is an exemplar. He's a he's a good example. You know, sometimes we're so um, we're so surrendered to our own our own plans. We can't simply submit to what God wants us to do. And I would I I can't make an angel come to you at night and and wake you up and give you a visit. Do this. But when you're on the brink of I mean, you're in a conundrum. I want to do what's right in God's eyes. And I would encourage you. Open your Bible up. What's the wisdom of God? It's in the pages of this book. And then avail yourself to the wisdom that's in this room and of people who know God and then commit yourself to prayer. And lastly, this Christmas, let's give our hearts and our minds that in every distress and in every way that life pre- uh, presents you a predicament that overwhelms you. Um, let's give our minds and our hearts to Jesus that he would give us faith and love and hope and trust and the wherewithal to to obey him, kind of like Joseph, but more importantly, that he would help us receive Jesus, the one who God sends to save us as Emmanuel got with us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christmas, this Advent season. Thank you for sending Jesus, the one who's come as a the eternal son, incarnated as a baby, but brought into the flesh of humanity to rescue us from all those ways that we can't rescue ourselves. Lord, I pray this Christmas season, even as it begins, that uh, you would give us moments where we can pause and see you as you are, not just as a baby, but as God himself, sent to earth that we would wonder, that we would have awe in the majesty of this baby, but that we would we would worship him as Lord God, Savior, and King of one who came and of one who is coming again. And it's in his great name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. And amen.